Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I had the chance to talk to Jen Hatmaker and Aaron Arnheim about the incredible nonprofit Legacy Collective that Jen founded and Aaron runs. Our conversation covered so much, including where Jen's spirit of helping others came from, why she chose Aaron to lead such an amazing organization, Aaron's thoughts on being a new CEO, and their plans for the future. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider hitting subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. All right, this is such an exciting moment for me. Um, Jen Hatmaker has been a name in my household for years and years. Um, uh, we, we hear the great things that she's been doing. And over time, I've learned about this amazing nonprofit that she and Aaron work on. So I want to start off just by asking, I'm going to ask each of you to say who you are and what you do. I'm super curious how you guys answered that. So Aaron, we'll start with you. Sure. Well, thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. I'm Erin Arnheim, and I'm the CEO of Legacy Collective, and I'm blessed to be part of this organization that Jen co-founded back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'm Jen Hatmaker, and I am an author and a speaker and um, a podcaster. I just like a lot of things, um, but I'm really super proud of Legacy Collective. It's, it's we're at the five-year mark and just thrilled about it. It's, it's a giving community. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, um, and now Aaron's at the helm and I just feel like our greatest days are in front of us. Yeah, it's such an amazing organization. Um, we were excited to become uh, partners, uh, from a donation perspective today, giving Tuesday recording. Yeah. It's just, it's a great, uh, it's a great initiative. So we will dive into that. Um, I am curious though, from your perspective, Jen, um, everything that I know about you, um, mm-hmm. is giving to others and, and trying to e- either through your own experiences or initiatives like legacy, um, helping people live better lives and bringing positivity and hope. Where did, where did that come from? Was that always inside of you as a, as a young person or did that develop later? Yeah. My parents say I have been this way for some time. (laughs) Um, And I just kind of have this like skip, skip, skippy way about life and going through life. And I get this from my dad. It's like not even my fault or to my credit, but 
Um, I was born to a man who's not, he's not even just glass half full. He's glass, glass always full. He, <laughs> the, the, the glass never has a drop out of it. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in the church and um, which like deeply shaped my worldview and how to um, imagine what it means to be a good neighbor, what that actually means, like practically, what does it mean tactically on the ground? And um, who is my neighbor? Um, that story has deeply informed my worldview. Um, and so I, I couldn't have ever imagined in my wildest imagination that I would have had any sort of influence at, to garner like I have now. Um, but it is really like my life's honor. And I've said before, I feel like legacy is my life's work to harness this community, this giving community for the good of our neighbors, really. And to me, our neighbors is everyone. So it's a pretty broad category at this point. Um, uh, but I'm highly optimistic and I feel incredibly hopeful. And to me, when I look at the work of legacy and I look at the world, I see like all possibility. Mm -hmm. And so that feels exciting. And I think Aaron's going to lead us there. Yeah. And, you know, just um, for a moment, Aaron, could you just give uh, our listeners um, an overview of what Legacy is? Sure, I'd be happy to. So Legacy really is just a community of givers. And so people give each month on a monthly basis. And then each quarter, they nominate nonprofits that they are, think are doing innovative things. And those nonprofits can be in their backyard or on the other side of the world. And then we go through as an organization and we vet them and just make sure that they align with what we believe as an organization and that they're in good standing. And then our donors come together and they vote and they grant those organizations grants every quarter. And so really it's totally driven by the donors. And so they nominate the organizations, they vote for the organizations and we give them grants every quarter. It's really that easy. So we just come together and, and give money to awesome organizations doing incredible things around the globe. Yeah, it's amazing the number uh, and range of nonprofits that you you all support. Um, Jen, where did that idea come from? Um, it came from this uh, a personal sense of um, we've got to be doing this better. We at, at, with with an influence that um, I was constantly being asked to steward for really good organizations. I mean, there's no such thing as a, a bad one at that point. Just, this is a need, this is a need. Can you get behind it? Can you back it? Can you put your weight here? Um, can you highlight this to your community? It was endless, it was just endless. And so I was having to reinvent the giving wheel every time. I'd have to start with a new org, educate the whole community. This is the deal. This is who's on the ground. This is the need. Um, this is the giving mechanism. And it was always different. Um, this is the goal. And it was this huge, heavy lift every time. And I just kept thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this because I know that my community is very, is highly interested in giving. That's clear. Um, that that is our shared value. So it's not a matter of want to, it was just what I noticed was this compassion fatigue inside mm -hmm. my community as a leader. And so I, we started paying attention to, honestly, a, a, a giving model that we saw executed at really high executive levels in the corporate world, where these uber rich people, big, big CEO millionaire types, were they get coming together in small groups and saying, 
we all got to get rid of a lot of money every year. That's just part of our deal is we've got to give away a big amount of money. What if we, these big, 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 big givers pooled together, we put our, our yearly annual money together that we're going to give away. And we did some incredible stuff more than any one of us could do individually. Um, what could we do collectively? And we're like, that is, that's innovative. That that's exciting. And so we just took it down to the ground. What could this look like with ordinary people? <laughs> um, not CEOs. What did this look like with teachers and with students and um, with librarians and with just regular folks? What if we pooled small amounts of money um, that we were going to give away too? And what could we do with a big pile of it instead of little tiny? And so rather than having to reinvent the giving wheel every single time, we were month by month compiling our money and it was ready to go. So we were able to just at that point level up on who and how we could fund some of the most incredible people and organizations in the world. It's phenomenal. And I think you hit on several things that I've seen in the nonprofit community, which is people today, donors, supporters, they want to, uh, you know, support causes they care about, but they also want to see the impact that it's making. And so it's hard for the United Ways of the world who do similar things than what you're talking about, but then they really make the decision. And then you don't really know where your, your money goes. Whereas with yours, it's the power of collective. We're all together, but then also I can see, and I can feel the impact. And the video that I was talking earlier with Aaron about on the website now, of one of the uh, women who received the grant and she's singing, it's just like amazing energy. So it's just, you've done such a great job of allowing people to participate in something bigger than themselves, but also feel that personal touch. Yeah. That's, um, that's the secret sauce, which isn't just give us your money and, we promise we're going to do good with it. Um, right. It is let's pull our money and let's decide where it goes. So that's why we call it legacy collective. It really mm-hmm. is a collective. It is a donor advice fund. And so um, from within our investor community, we nominate, we vet and we vote. And so we really do decide where our dollars are going together. It's very, very powerful. And so um, we've, we've discovered so many incredible organizations from our investors who said, Mm -hmm. we have a nomination. Um, We want you to know about this work. We want you to know about this leader. Um, We want you to know about this organization. And so um, way outside of just what it is we know. And so together with this huge community, wow, um, our reach is just unlimited, honestly. Um, And so getting to vote with our dollars, it's just very powerful, very empowering, Um, and I think that is what makes legacy special. And of course, utterly transparent. You get Mm -hmm. to see every single dollar and every single step along the way. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm excited for my family to be, uh, an investor level because that uh, was important. I was like, oh, this is great. If we're at this level, we can actually be voting and and submitting. So I think it's a brilliant model. Let's brag on Aaron for just a second. So, uh, so the passion that you just uh, uh, showed in this organization and um, the, the impact that you it, that it is making, but I know that you believe it will continue to make, I think it's an important thing, the leader you choose to take that on and run that, right? Yeah. So how did you first get to know Aaron and, and why Aaron? Oh yeah, we knew last year in 2019 that it was time to level up. We had, um, the, the baby had grown up a little bit and it, it was, its bones were a little sturdier and um, it was time to take this pretty incredible organization and, and giving model and 
and grow it. And so we just knew that we needed a leader with a different kind of capacity um, who had vision for what was possible, who was able to um, not be incredibly risk averse. You know, that's just how growth happens. You've got to really get out there um, and not necessarily just play like the really safe route. We needed somebody who had been there in other ways in different capacities. And so um, could bring to the table ideas and innovations that we hadn't considered, that we hadn't experienced. Um, and then finally, who would deeply value the ethos of legacy, the heartbeat of it, the blood and bones of it, what we care about, who we care about and how. Um, and so it was kind of a, it was sort of a tough order, tall order, to be honest with you. That's a really complicated job description. And and so we vetted and we vetted and we vetted and we weeded out and weeded out and it kept shrinking, shrinking, shrinking down until finally Aaron was last woman standing. And <laughs> it was the best decision we've made. Like this is um, the, the, play, the way that Aaron has brought health to the organization and creativity and innovation is exactly what we wanted. And so um, really and truly, I think if we sat here on this podcast a year from now, the things that we'll be talking about that we have built and like accomplished together are going to be pretty extraordinary. Aaron, what do you think Thank about you. that? That's pretty, pretty great <laughs> praise. <laughs> I appreciate it. It blows me away. It's still a little surreal sitting in the seat right here. What people don't know is that I went to church with the hat makers like 20 years ago. And um, then I moved to Chicago <laughs> and didn't, keep in touch with anyone from Austin because I was living my Chicago life. Um, but I saw Jen and Brandon kind of coming up and writing books and speaking and following that. And when Legacy launched, I'll never forget it. I was just so blown away by what they were doing. And so five years later, just to sit in the seat and have the opportunity to help take that to the next level and be part of such an incredible community of people that really care about doing good in this world. It's just an opportunity I never expected, but I feel very blessed to have. Yeah. It sounds like a dream. And we're going to get into that when we let Jen go in a second. So Jen, I just have one final question for you. Okay. Um, if you had to narrow down one or two of your favorite books of all time, um, I'll go ahead and put the Bible in the list. And, and so you don't have sure. outside of that, um, <laughs> sure. what, uh, what would be some of the books you would point to? Ooh. It's such a mean question. <laughs> it's just so impossible. It is. Um, I'm a lifelong reader, obviously. Can I say three? Sure. sure. Okay. Probably the book that created in me like an absolute lifelong love of reading was a book I read as a kid, obviously, which was The Secret Garden. Did you ever read that, Erin? I did. I probably read The Secret Garden. I probably have read the. 50 times. Wow. Um, and just that world of imagination. I'm like, that's it. I'm hooked. Just give me a book. I was a real, real nerdy little kid. Um, so the secret garden was my childhood favorite. I would read it right now. I'd pick it up right this second and read it. I'm 46 years old. Um, one of my favorite genres is um, satire humor writing. And so also I've read this book 20 times. Um, the master, the master of the world is David Sedaris at this. And so <laughs> me talk pretty one day is my favorite of all his books. And it's, it's a masterclass in awesomeness. Oh. I just, I read it with this mix of like absolute pleasure and envy. And I don't know which it is. 
Um, nobody does it like Sedaris. Nobody. He'll never be matched. Um, and then I really love memoir. And so my probably my favorite memoirist, I, I turned her into a friend because the internet can do that now. I'm like, I will make her mine. And I did. Um, and it's called The Middle Place. It's by my friend Kelly Corrigan. And she is just the most gifted writer that I just want to strangle her. Um, and so the middle place is one of the greatest memoirs I've ever read and it's beautiful and poignant and funny and touching and I cannot recommend it enough. So there you asked for one. I gave you three. I could give you 40. You're a rule breaker, but that's, that's good. (laughs) Nobody said I wasn't. Nobody. I have to say there are several of uh, your books that uh, my wife would put on her list of her favorites since she's read them multiple times. So I can't thank thank you enough for for being here and for starting Legacy. Um, Aaron and I are going to get into it, but thanks for your time. And uh, look, if there's ways we can support, let us know. And welcome aboard to the Legacy community. Like we're so happy to have you and your wife. We really, really are. And so I can't wait for you to get a little front row seat to this work. You're going (laughs) to love it even more than you think. We're excited. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye, Jen. So, Aaron, it must be pretty boring working with Jen. So, so boring. <laughs> There's never a dull moment. I love it. I know. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so, so you're from Chicago, and we talked earlier. I'm also from Chicago. Or, I'm actually or, not from you spent, Chicago. You spent a lot of time there. Chicago. Yeah. 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 I, I have a Chicago question, but then I want to find yeah. out where you grew up. Um, favorite pizza? in Chicago. Oh, hands down Pequot's pizza with ranch oh. dressing, deep dish. Okay. I, I if don't... Pequot's pizza shipped to Austin, I would pay an insane multiple to have it delivered to my house. <laughs> what, did you ever try Lou Malnati's? That's my I favorite. don't like it. What? <laughs> I do not like it. All right. I'm going to have to cut this short. I don't know if we're going to, if we're going to have compatibility. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to have to try, what was it? Pe- Pequot? Pequot's pizza. Clybourne Avenue. It's the best in the city. Okay, good. Well, I, I, I love to look for the best, although your taste is questionable. So I'll have to have to take that (laughs) with caution. All right. So where did you grow up? Sure. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then my mom and I moved to Austin when I was in high school, middle of high school. So I went to high school and college here. Um, and then towards the end of college is when I ended up at church where the hat makers were super small. It was before they started their massive amount of growth. And then I was on the seven-year plan in college, couldn't figure out what I wanted to major in because I loved every single course I took. Where, where did you go to UT? Where'd you go? I did not. I went to, I started at what is now called Texas State. Back then it was called Southwest Texas. It was a huge party school. So they changed the name to change the reputation, which I don't think happened. <laughs> and then I took some time off and I finished at a small liberal arts school called St. Edwards University. Okay. Um, And then when I was in Chicago and I finished with a business degree. And then when I was in Chicago, I went back um, for a master's in secondary education and history. In history. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to be a high school history teacher. Did you, did you ever try that? Nope. Got through student teaching and um, called up the employer that I was still with and said, I really love working with children, but I do not love giving them homework and making them take exams. And so I would love to stay in my current role, but still work with children in the community. So I got to keep my job in finance and do a bunch of our community engagement work. So it really was the best of both worlds. Okay. All right. Well, I'll ask you the same question um, I asked Jen, because following the things that you've done and certainly your work with Legacy, um, 
you know, did you, cause not look, there are lots of awesome people in the world and, and not all of them, um, also, uh, want to help others as much um, right. as like literally dedicating their lives to it by running a nonprofit. Right. Um, wh where did that come from? Has that always been inside of you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's been embedded in our family since we could walk and talk. And so our, my father's family in Pittsburgh is very philanthropic. Uh, my dad actually went back to grad school in his 40s or 50s. Um, sold his business and went back to do grant writing for nonprofits. Um, he passed away from Parkinson's this year, but he raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for Parkinson's in Pennsylvania. My brother has inherited his legacy in doing that. Um, it's just part of our entire extended family. It's who we are. Um, even in Chicago, I spent a large amount of my free time volunteering and being on boards. I, I would go out on dates and people would be like, oh, what's your hobby? What do you do in your free time? And it was always volunteering, but it just brings me joy to help others. And the areas that I really spend that time are with teenagers and college students. So I love um, college persistence programs and kids in the foster care system. And so I know that's probably not normal that that's how I spend my spare time, but that brings me a lot of joy. And so it's really been the best of both worlds because now I get to spend my work time helping make that possible for others. So it's amazing. I think very few people in this world get a chance to um, have their job and their purpose, um, you know, really match up. Usually yeah. people have to separate those. So, you know, like had you become a, a teacher, which again, there's, there's a purpose to that, but you might've always had this second part of you that was your hobby of, of helping. But now you get to spend all of your time from a work perspective, helping, I mean, hundreds of nonprofits. Right. That must, that must feel pretty amazing. It's amazing. You know, I got laid off for the first time ever. It was so scary last October and I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and because I started in financial services right after 9-11, that had been a fear of mine for 20 years because I had seen so many people be laid off for so long. And so I just didn't know what was to come. And then to get this dream job when I had been looking for another finance job, this was just, I tell everyone the story. I applied to 174 jobs. And going into this, I prayed that only the door would open for the job that I should take. And this is the only job I interviewed for out of 174 jobs. Come on. Is yep. that real? Yeah. <laughs> I have the spreadsheet to prove it. And so just it being nothing like I was applying for and um, just everything I could have hoped or wanted. And I started unofficially the week of the lockdown. And so to be able to walk into such a dark time to such a joyful opportunity to be able to bless others, um, Jen's husband, Brandon, gave me the opportunity to start unofficially two weeks early so I could help kick off this COVID relief fund that we started. And we raised $50,000 within weeks. Mm -hmm. And we were able to bless some nonprofits with emergency funding. And it was just an unbelievable way to come out of a time of hardship during a layoff to be in this role to bless others. It's unbelievable. And so I just think what a great opportunity during such a difficult time to be in a position like this. I love that. Well, um, a nonprofit that, that I started um, six years ago, right around the same time Legacy got started is called 48 in 48. And it's similar in the sense that it exists to help other nonprofits. It's um, awesome. I've read all about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping we can do some stuff together because you've yep. got lots of nonprofits that need help and maybe, you know, we'll talk offline. Yes. Um, but what was so great about this year for 48 was that um, 
our services were needed even more than ever, right? right. And, and all the nonprofits that we've helped are struggling. And so that ability to continue giving back over the last, you know, eight months of this uh, pandemic um, has, has really empowered the team. And I, I, that has to be even, you know, I know you started as CEO right around when this began, but my gosh, the need is even greater than ever. So, so you must feel really good about that. Well, and how great are people that giving has gone up during this? Like so many people are laid off right now in just astronomical numbers, but giving has gone up and people have been just so generous with they with what they have. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a great time for you and I to be part of all this. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. So you are a CEO, I presume for the first time. In my life. Yep. yep. Did you ever <laughs> think one day I want to be running a company? Absolutely never. So <laughs> Um, I was in financial services for 20 years. When I moved back to Chicago, I was still with my firm in Chicago that I'd been with for 13 years. I landed my first COO role in Austin. That was the one I was laid off in in October. Um, and I came into legacy as COO. I just got promoted in September to CEO. I've never worked a nonprofit. I've never been a CEO. It's very <laughs> overwhelming <laughs> to walk into this. Um, but it's so interesting. I think the thing everyone says is it's so lonely at the top. And I have not had that experience. Um, everyone I've met has been so warm and welcoming and, and just offering of their expertise and help and services. And knowing that it can be so lonely at the top, I've formed a small female CEO of nonprofit women's group. And so there's a group of us that are meeting once a month that is just a safe place to share things. And so we share a high and a low um, and just talk through that stuff together. And so I, although it's been overwhelming to learn the nonprofit world and the CEO world all at the same time, yeah, I just, it's kind of an incredible experience, but never in my life did I ever say I want to run an organization. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if you're broken now <laughs> in the sense that you can only run your own things or things you're, you're right. spearheading. But I love that you found that, uh, that peer group, because I, one of the things that, um, I found in working with, with nonprofits is, um, in business and in, in sort of for-profit business, that's a very natural thing. You know, there's groups that get together and CEOs and leaders can commiserate and share that doesn't happen as much as it should in the nonprofit community. And so I've actually started something in Atlanta to help that happen a little bit. I love that you found that so early. Did you start that or did you get asked to be a part of that? I started it because someone had shared with me this men's retreat that they were doing for male nonprofit leaders. <laughs> I was so frustrated that it wasn't female centric at all. And so I just wanted to start something for women because I didn't want to do this by myself. And I wanted someone to talk through these things with. And so I pulled some women together, one of which I actually met because we gave her a grant and she was so cool that I wanted to continue to get to know her better. And so she's part of the group as well. I love that. That's, yeah. that's excellent. Um, can you turn it off? Um, meaning I find that when I'm running an organization, especially when I'm super passionate about, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur now. I don't know if you yeah. know that. But you're, I know, you're I know. <laughs> My whole family knows. I can't stop. Yeah. Um, it's, it must weekends, nights. I mean, it's, it, it's now your hobby and your job. It's right. It's, it's more than just a, you know, nine to five. Right. Um, yes. My mother who I'm quarantining with, um, will tell you, I do not turn it off ever, but I think I don't turn it off because I was so scared of failing 
I would never do anything that I thought I didn't succeed in until this job. Mm. And now I'm not scared of failing. So now I have all of these things that are hitting my brain that I want to try and I don't turn them off because I don't care if they don't work out. And so that's part of why I can't turn it off. I also think for the first time ever, my office is in my home. And so it's hard to turn it off because my home is in my spare bedroom. So I think that's kind of a result of COVID. For a while, I was turning off the lights and shutting the door at five o'clock. I haven't been doing that right now because it's year end. But I think I just have so many exciting ideas for what lies ahead for legacy that I don't want to turn it off. Exactly. When it, when yeah. when the opportunity to do amazing good matches up with literally your ability to steer this in whatever direction it needs to go, that's really powerful. And so, yeah, you probably need times where you can check out, but you know, I think it, it's just always going to be there because you're, yeah. you're building this thing. You know, I feel like even though you guys have accomplished so many great things, if there's still a bit of wet clay there, right? It's still right. forming and creating um, what it can ultim- ultimately be. And that's that's got to be present with you constantly. I mean, we, so the podcast is a great example, right? So when I first joined in April, I started sending any donor that left an email saying, why are you leaving? And I just got two answers. Either they lost their job due to the economic impacts of COVID, or they wanted to understand more about the organizations we were giving grants to. And so I started racking my brain and then I thought we need to start getting positive stories about nonprofits out there. Like we need to do this. We need to find a way to get these out there. And then I started thinking, okay, well, legacy believes firmly that we will never have a gala fundraiser. Like that is something that we have all just decided that's not our jam. That's not who we are. But we love the stories when we go to the galas. We love to cry. I mean, I've been the speaker and I cry when I'm speaking every time because we love them. And so that's how we came up with this idea for our podcast called Elevating Their Impact. Something that we believe firmly at Legacy is elevating the nonprofits that we work with. And so literally sitting in my living room, like how can we share positive stories of these nonprofits around the world and with the sole purpose of keeping our donors up to date on these organizations that's how the podcast came about. And I went into it saying, I don't care if three people listen to this thing because I get to hear these awesome stories when I interview them. And now the podcast is kind of blowing up and that's exciting. It's so exciting, but that's something I can't turn off because I have so many exciting ideas about people we want to interview and get on the podcast. And it's awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, no, you guys I'm sure you have the same thing. You're doing it too. Podcasts are fun. You get to listen to people's stories. You get to chat with people that are inspiring and you learn yes. things. No, I think it's fantastic. I love that you guys are doing it and it's great. I'll yeah. put it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, talking about the stories, is there, uh, I know, I know there's no favorite because they're all yeah. your bit, but is there a particular moment or a thing that happened over the last eight or nine months that, that uh, either blew you away or uh, really touched you? Yeah, I have two. Um, when, so we knew that, so basically I came in as COO and they told me it was going to be about a year. I didn't know when I was getting hired, I was going to be CEO, but I found out right after I was hired. And then Brandon told me in June, they were going to do it soon. And so I knew it was going to come right after Labor Day. So I took vacation and came back for the announcement. I wanted kind of that break to differentiate it. And then, um, Jen and Brandon announced some personal news and it, I was scared that our donors weren't going to react well to a changing of the guard at legacy because I would be the first person that wasn't the founder in that leadership role. 
and we made the announcement that week and it was just a hard week for us. And I got, chokes me up thinking about it, but I got like over my inbox, like flooded with over a hundred emails from donors just saying that they were praying for Jen and Brandon and I, and they were so excited to see me in this role. And they were so blown away by all of the things I had done already. And they couldn't wait for the future of legacy. And I couldn't believe the level of support and love that I got on that day. I just, I had expected people to leave legacy because of the changes in leadership. And instead people upped their giving levels and showed me so much love and support, just didn't expect it. Um, and then the other cool thing was something that we believe really strongly at Legacy, which Jen does too for anybody that follows her is inclusivity, especially with the LGBTQ community. So this year I made our first ever pride post for pride month. I made quite a few of them, which we've never done on social media didn't really care if people unfollowed us because it was more important for me to post them than not. And um, we, I created a diversity statement with our board and we posted it on the website. And then I instituted new criteria to our grant process that organizations that we vetted had to be inclusive organizations in their hiring practices, employment practices, and how they treated their clients. And so um, an organization that I had nominated, I was putting them through the vetting process like everyone else. And it was an organization I care deeply about. And I found out that they, because they're faith-based, they don't have to follow the same laws that a non-faith-based organization does. And so they didn't have inclusive hiring practices. And I had to take them out of the grant process and also off of our podcast. And it was a very hard decision for me as a leader, but I also know that what we stand by as an organization. Not knowing this, someone involved very intricately with legacy was part of the LGBTQ community and hadn't come out to me yet. And just seeing her seeing me make that decision made it safe for her to come out to me. And then someone on our board of advisors um, who's part of the LGBTQ community, I called her to talk to her about it because I wanted to ask her how to better handle it going forward. And she was so supportive that she blasted her social media with how supportive we are of the LGBTQ community. And we ended up getting donors out of it. And so it was just such a tough decision as a leader about something I cared about really intricately and personally that I had supported for a long time. And then to see that people were watching closely and supported that, that was pretty cool. That gave me chills. That's amazing. I love that so much. You, you so quickly as a leader got to the point where you had to make a very tough decision, uh, you know, leaning into your values over, you know, relationships over, you know, what could have been something that brought, you know, dollars or something to the organization. And that's a tough place to be. And uh, I think that's amazing that you made that decision so early. Um, and in it now it probably empowers you to continue down that, down that path. Yeah. And the cool thing about that too, the other part of this story is the organization that I had to turn away. I'm very close with the CEO of that organization. And we had this great conversation about how I respect the fact that even though I don't agree with their stance, that they still stand by what they believe in so much that it's costing them dollars. And so even though we might not agree on what we believe in, I, I 
love that they stand by what they believe in. And that in a time where this country is so divided on what people believe in and they're so quick to write each other off, that this leader and I, it doesn't affect our friendship or love for each other at all. So we can believe in completely different things, but it doesn't skip a beat in how we feel about each other, each other's organizations. So that's awesome. That's super yeah. awesome. We, we have to be able to have a conversation, even if we disagree. And right. I love doing that. Um, what, what have you, um, over this period, been able to learn from Jen as a leader. I mean, you know, I think it's really interesting that you've got this fantastic leader that so many people look up to, up to that has had so many experiences and, th and therefore has had to become the leader she is today. Are there some things that come to mind that, that have helped you along the way? Yeah. You know, it's so funny and weird that she and I are working together because actually I don't think I've told her this story, but the day I landed to move back home to Austin three years ago, my post on Instagram was a quote from her Moxie book. Uh, and the day she friended me on Instagram after I joined Legacy, I sat there and like shrunk because I was like, oh, crap, she's going to see all these like <laughs> Jen Halfacre quotes all over my Instagram. You're, you're like wearing a head on it. <laughs> like such a freak. So anyway, um, yeah, the thing she's taught me is and, and I was talking about this on a family Zoom call last night is that. I never had great experiences working with women in financial services. And I'm not saying there aren't great women. There are great women in financial services, but many of the women above me were just hard and difficult. And some of them were not quick to support the ones coming up behind them because they had struggled so much. And it was always important to me to shepherd the ones coming up behind me because I had struggled so much trying to break barriers. And so I just never looked forward to working with women and Jen is a joy. And every person that has come into my world because of Jen is a joy. <laughs> Jen's advertising team, Jen's assistant, the pure charity team, like every woman that I have dealt with, every nonprofit we work with, like all of these incredibly uplifting women that just want to help each other and encourage one another. Like it's incredible. And it's given me like a love and reignited faith and hope in working with women again. Like, I just, I love it. That's all I want to do now. And so it's just so interesting that I went from really preferring to work with men to really loving working with women, literally because of the community that Jen has built. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, okay. So one, one last business question, and then I'll ask my yeah. fun question. Um, what, what advice would you, so, so you're early into your CEO ship. Um, For sure. Three uh, months in. <laughs> yeah. But if you had, you know, but, but I'm sure a lot has happened in the last three yes. months. <laughs> so yes. is there advice you would give to your three month younger self as you start this job um, that you know now? Gosh. Still feel like it's day one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's a tough question for you because you're, you're, you're right in the it middle. Is. I don't know that I would say anything to my three month self, but I would say maybe to myself a year ago, like it always works out. It all, everything always works out. Like it always works out. It's just not worth worrying about things. And you just can't be afraid to fail. Cause I don't really believe anymore that failure is really a thing. As long as you learn from it, it's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. So just the reminder that everything works out. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And that's the perspective 
and again, there's so many things that you're just naturally doing as a leader um, that I think are going to help you tremendously. And and what you just said there is something that I see leaders um, get hung up on. Um, the idea that, you know, if you fail, that's some sort of bad mark on you, or if an idea you you presented to the board or something didn't work out, that that's some, some sort of terrible thing. And instead, it's a learning opportunity. The only way we evolve these businesses is to take chances. And more often, we grow more from the learning of the mistake. So I love that that's your perspective going into this, because there's so much potential with legacy. Yeah, you know, a great example is that in mid-October, because keep in mind, I had just become a CEO like three weeks before, I was told that we needed to come up with a year-end giving campaign, which I had never done in my life. So my poor marketing person and I, who also just graduated from college and has never done one, had like two weeks to come up with that. And so we launched it and it hasn't been uber successful. And But it caused me to sit and have pause over the past week. And I really came to the decision that I don't think that it's really on brand for Legacy to do because we're really here to elevate the other nonprofits that we work with um, beyond ourselves. And so I think it's fine for us to have a campaign, but I don't necessarily think that this time of year is the best time for us to do it. And so it's not a failure that it hasn't blown it out of the water. It's just given us great time to rethink that maybe it's not the best time of the year. And so I think the prior me would have probably been really disappointed that it hadn't like hit the target mark. And the current me is just looking forward to how we can change it going forward. So I love that. That's fantastic. And that, that sort of goes back to when we talked earlier, we're recording this on giving Tuesday and your point was we're not doing a whole lot for legacy today. We're actually trying to pump up the organizations we help and just keeping that bigger purpose in mind. I think that's, again, it's something that it takes sometimes leaders forever to learn, but I love that you're doing that early. Yeah, something really important to us is that, so, and we've talked about this online, Jeff, but we have this quarterly grant process and there's winners, but then there's also people that don't win the grant process, but they're awesome organizations because if they weren't, they wouldn't be in the process. So anyone that doesn't win a grant, we're spending the next two weeks amplifying them. They're getting posts in our social media and our blog and we're sharing their stories all day today. And so today's really about these awesome organizations. It's not about us. So we're making one post and sharing our promo video, but that's it. So um, yeah, that's on brand for us to really promote other people. I love that so much. Okay. Uh, I asked Jen this question. I'm going to ask you favorite book or two of all time. Okay. Like Jen, and I'm glad she set pace. I can give you my three. (laughs) So I, I have three because they've been at pointy and points in my life. So the first one is actually Jen's book. She wrote this book called seven years ago, and it was right before I became a foster parent to a teenager. And it's about living minimally. And I recommend everybody read it. She really, she went through with this group of friends and family and picked different things where she had seven of them for a month, seven foods, seven pieces of clothing. I don't think I could survive on seven pieces of clothing, but I did it. And I ended up cleaning out my house and purging all these things I didn't need. And then when my foster child moved in with a grocery bag full of clothes and that was it, like it just made it feel more comfortable. And so Granted, I was the crazy foster parent that bought her a zillion things and she moved out with a moving van. I'm not kidding, but (laughs) I, I just, it changed my perspective on things and I still live pretty minimally. And so that was impactful for me. And then Shauna Nyquist wrote this book called Present Over Perfect. And I read it right around my 40th birthday. 
I love her. I've read every single one of her books. I, I really believe that I could safely say she's my favorite author. And it made me realize why I always struggled with perfectionism, why I needed to change it. And I read it in the month of August when the church was kind of on break per se, like pastors go on break in August. And I realized I was over serving in the church. I was over volunteering to do things at work. I shouldn't have been over volunteering to do. I was over engaging in friendships to try and gain favor all for these variety of reasons that could be a whole podcast episode in itself, all from this book. And it just changed how I worked, how I was a friend to people, how I served. And so that book, all because of struggles with perfectionism due to things in my childhood. And so that book was like life altering for me to this day. And then, and and I'm guessing just by the way, on that book, that has helped you as a leader because one of the one of the things when you you have found obviously as CEO yeah. is that your time is up to you and if you're just saying yes to everything you know it's not like you have a boss every day saying hey here's the oh, things yeah. you need to work on right so it can be really tough to uh, focus when you're yeah. with the CEO so I'm sure that concept has helped you oh I this is my phrase there's no such thing as perfect. There There isn't. You make it up. You define what perfect is. There's no such thing. So my, to end on my like favorite book that brings me more joy than anything I've ever read is called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And it's about loving people, whether they're easy to love or difficult. I've laughed so hard through that book and cried through that book. I've bought it for a zillion people. I just think it is just the greatest thing out there. And so everybody always, I think everybody should read that book. I'm going to check that out. That's a great yeah. recommendation. Well, Aaron, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, but most importantly, I love that you've dedicated your life to helping others. Um, and it's, it's so amazing. The work you guys are doing, if there's anything I can ever do to help, uh, promote, um, please, please tell me, but I just, I love the journey you're on and thank you so much for sharing it with me. Well, we are so excited to have you part of legacy. We want to have you on our podcast. And as soon as COVID's over, we are in Atlanta. So we are excited to meet you. Come, come to town. We'll, we'll show you, we'll, we'll get you some Atlanta pizza. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. No such thing. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Have a great day. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. 